0: Chapter Twenty Two of The Lady's Mile. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lady's Mile by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Two. Mrs. Lobbier's Skeleton. Christmas Day at Pevenshol was very much like every other day there was perhaps a little more eating and drinking than usual in the servants hall where the male portion of the assembly seemed to consider the inordinate consumption of strong drinks and warm spiced beverages indispensable to the due celebration of the season a friendly rubber and a tankard of mulled port beguiled the cheerful evening in the housekeeper's room while the mirth of the occasion was promoted by the witticisms of a linen-draper's assistant who was paying his addresses to miss evershed's maid and had come from the market-town to spend his christmas evening in the society of his betrothed in these inferior regions the monster plum-pudding of the traditional christmas appeared in a blaze of spiritous splendor at the three o'clock dinner and reappeared in cold substantiality upon the loaded supper-table here there were glistening holly berries and the frail waxen mistletoe with all the giggling and scuffling provoked by the magic bough here among mr Lobbier's well-fed retainers jolly king christmas deigned to show his honest rubicund visage in all its legendary geniality but at mr Lobbier's dinner-table jolly king christmas was a poor creature represented in one of the later courses by a turkey that was ignominiously carved by an under-butler upon the great oak sideboard and which was handed about in small modicums to be contemptuously rejected by surfeited diners who had just been regaled with a course of spring ducklings and early green peas at half-a-guinea a spoonful and introducing himself so furtively at the fag-end of the banquet under cover of a small mould of some black compound which the attendant offering it explained in a low voice as plum-pudding in mr lobier's drawing-room it might have been midsummer for the fires at each end of the spacious chamber were hidden by great parian screens through which the red blaze shed only a rosy glow like the low sunlight in a summer evening sky and the atmosphere was odorous with the scent of roses and myrtles hyacinth and myosotis blooming in jardinieres of ormola and boule or fading in tall slender vases of fragile glass the possessor of a million of money is the earthly incarnation of zeus at his bidding the summer fruits ripen at christmas time for his pleasure the nipping winter becomes a time of roses it is not to be expected therefore that the millionaire should put himself out of the way because the common herd choose to be joyful or that he should embrace dowagers under a vulgar mistletoe bough, and burn his fingers in the extraction of indigestible raisins from a dish of blazing spirits nothing in mr lobier's manner on this particular twenty-fifth of december betrayed the faintest sympathy with those genial emotions common to the vulgar at this season of the year he appeared in the drawing-room about five minutes before dinner faultlessly attired in evening costume and carrying his familiar a fawn coloured pug in one of his big strong hands cecil found her host leaning against one of the mantelpieces in his accustomed attitude and caressing this brute with a moody countenance when she entered the drawing-room he did the honors of the dinner-table in his usually graceful manner and those amiable people who were never weary of sounding their hosts praises in his character of a rough diamond found him peculiarly delightful this evening he was so quaint so original they said to each other confidentially as the millionaire let fall some cynical remark now and then in the course of the banquet he seemed very glad to get back to the fawn-coloured familiar which was snoring peacefully half-buried in a fleecy rug when the gentleman returned to the drawing-room he lifted the animal by one ear and retired with it into the depths of an easy-chair whence might be heard occasional growlings and snappings as the evening proceeded i am afraid that grey shirtings were not lively florence whispered to cecil as the two ladies were preparing themselves for a duet at ten o'clock those splendid creatures the matched footmen were summoned to wheel the jardiniere and etager away from the centre of the room while lady cecil and a young masculine pianist seated themselves at the instrument to play quadrilles and waltzes for a carpet dance it was at the same hour that mr lobier emerged from the depths of his easy-chair flung the fawn-coloured animal into a corner and walked towards one of the doors come and have a smoke in the billiard-room chapman he said to one of his commercial friends a bald-headed warm-looking man of whom the county people never took the faintest notice departing with this gentleman in his wake mr lobier was seen no more among his guests that evening and the carpet dance went merrily and a million stars shone brightly over pevenshall out of the frosty blue sky while midnight melted into morning and the bell of the great drawing-room was bright fair-haired coquettish little mrs lobier but the christmas night came and went and the bride of six months had no loving husband to take her hands in his and say god bless you my darling on this night above all nights of the year and in all the days and nights to come sir nugent evershed made his appearance before luncheon on the twenty sixth of december with scribe's comedy in his hand much to the astonishment of his cousin grace jeff's must have been very rapid she said he generally keeps me longer when i send for anything i didn't depend upon jeff's answered the baronet i rode over to Chivery after leaving here the night before last and telegraphed to the rue vivienne it was as easy to telegraph to levi as to write to jeff's and i had set my heart on bringing the comedy to-day he looked at mrs lobier rather than his cousin as he said this but the two ladies were standing side by side and a man's eyes may take the wrong direction unconsciously after luncheon the party interested in the amateur theatricals adjourned to the morning-room where sir nugent read the comedy and where the arrangement of the characters was decided mrs lobier was to play the heroine the most bewitching of young widows and sir nugent was to be the marquis poor and reckless and proud but passionately attached to the bewitching young widow Miss Grace Evershed consented to perform a malicious dowager who made mischief between the spendthrift marquis and the bewitching widow and the rest of the cast was made up by a country squire who had finished his education at bonn and spoke the french language as taught by german masters and two of mr lobbier's london friends of the fast and flippant school who appeared to be proficient in every modern language and skilled in every art except that of keeping out of debt one of the officers from chiverley who was known to be strong in the thespian art was requested to take a part in the piece but he declined with a regretful sigh i shall be in the wilds of kerry when your performance comes off he said our fellows are ordered off to tralee on the tenth and the eleventh plungers come into our quarters i have often growled about the dreariness of chiverley but how i shall envy those fellows the queer old english town and Pevenshall place within an hour's ride do people live in such a place as tralee i have a sort of idea that we shall be surrounded by savage natives and scalped on the night of our arrival what luck the eleventh have had in india that young gordon whose father has such mints of money has won a step within the last few months that skirmish at burra made a major of him cecil felt the blood rush to her face for a moment and then a sick faintness came over her and the brightly furnished room spun round before her eyes until it seemed as if she had been sitting amidst a whirlpool of light and colour the low-toned voices and the light laughter clashed upon her ears like the noise of cymbals but it was only for a moment womanly dignity came to her rescue after the first brief shock of surprise and when grace ever shed appeal to her presently upon some frivolous question she was able to answer with unfaltering tones what is he to me she thought or what can he ever be to me and why should i be startled by hearing that he is likely to be within a few miles of the house in which i am staying and then she began to consider whether her visit at pevenshall could not reasonably come to an end very speedily florence had asked her friend to come to her for a long time and as yet cecil had been little more than ten days in yorkshire but then as mr o'boyneville was unable to leave london his wife had a very good reason for returning thither while cecil was thinking of this the talk was going on round her and presently she heard sir nugent Evershed shed talking of hector gordon he is a splendid fellow said the baronet i met him in germany six years ago and we saw a great deal of each other he is the kind of man we want in india the real napier breed the man who doesn't know when he is beaten i was with him in a revolutionary row at heidelberg gad how we fought the students wanted to chair him after the squabble but he wouldn't stand any nonsense of that kind what a night we made of it afterwards there was a mad-brained fellow who fancied himself a poet a brace of transcendentalists and gordon and i i remember her sitting in the balcony of the hotel drinking rhine wine and talking metaphysics long after midnight when the last twinkling light in the queer old city had been extinguished and every roof and steeple stood out clear and sharp in the moonlight gordon must be a glorious fellow if he hasn't degenerated since then we used to call him the scottish lion in those days the girls and old women came to their windows to stare at him as he strode along the miserable pavements with his long auburn hair flying loose about his neck i shall be very glad if he comes my way this winter though i'm sorry they're going to send you fellows to trolley foster the pevincial party were more interested in the costumes they were to wear for the comedy than in the merits of major gordon so no more was said about that gentleman sir nugent was entrusted with the duty of writing to a london costumier who would provide the masculine attire and he further engaged himself to procure a set of coloured lithographs from which the ladies might choose their dresses having accepted these commissions he departed but not before he had received an invitation to dinner for the following day from mr who came into the morning-room before the party broke up and who seemed so far as in him lay to be amiably disposed towards his visitors and the world in general cecil left the drawing-room early that evening in order to write some letters in her own apartment she wrote a long gossiping epistle to her husband telling him of the pevincial gaieties the pending amateur theatricals anything and everything which she thought likely to interest him just for the few minutes during which he read her letter it was not because the great barrister was busy and could only write brief scrawls to his wife that she should therefore curtail her letters to him she was so earnestly anxious to do her duty even if duty was now and then a little tiresome and yet i doubt whether he will be able to take his mind away from all that horrible law business even while he reads my letter she thought as she concluded her missive in the course of the letter she had expressed her desire to return to london i am amongst very pleasant people here but do not like to stay so long away from home she wrote and she gave a faint sigh as she wrote the word home and as you find it impossible to join me here i think i had better return to brunswick square early next week you wished me to have change of air and scene and any benefit i am likely to receive from them i have already secured you know how little i care for gaiety and how very comfortable i am with my books and piano let me have a line please dear florence by return of post to say i may come back at the beginning of the week florence peeped into her friend's room before retiring for the night and cecil told her of the letter she had been writing i think if mr o'boyneville cannot come down i must go back to london next week dear she said but florence declared such an arrangement utterly impossible you have come to me-and i mean to keep you she said you come here for a change of scene and then you talk of running back to that hideous bloomsbury after a fortnight and you even talk of going before our comedy it is positively preposterous ah i ought to have insisted on your taking a part in it but i shall write to mr oboyneville myself if you are rebellious and ask him to put his veto against your return but my dear florence you must know that i ought not to be so long away from home i know nothing of the kind in the last letter you showed me mr O'Boinville said he was delighted to think you were enjoying yourself here and that he was up to his eyes in business what can a man who is up to his eyes in business want with a wife after this there were many discussions upon the same subject and cecil found that it was not at all easy to get away from pevenshall especially as she received a letter from mr oboyneville begging her to stay as long as she liked with her friends and promising to run down for a day or two and escort her back to town if she stayed until the beginning of february so there was nothing for her to do but to stay and after all what substantial reason was there for her hurried departure what was it to her if hector gordon came to Shiverley with his regiment was his coming to be a reason for her running away from the county it was just possible that the officers of the coming regiment might be visitors at pevenshall as the officers of the departing regiment had been but what did it matter to lady cecil where or when she met her old acquaintance of the little hampshire watering-place such was the tenor of cecil's thoughts when she thought at all of major gordon but after once having resolved to remain at pevenshall until the natural termination of her visit she tried to banish all thought of hector and is possible coming from her mind she abandoned herself to the frivolities of mrs lobier's circle and found those frivolities very pleasant in their way if it was a useless life and in a manner sinful by reason of its utter uselessness it was at least very agreeable while the freshness of youth lasted and cecil had seen in the person of her aunt that such frivolities may be tolerably agreeable to age but in spite of all the brightness and gaiety of mrs Lobier's life cecil found herself pitying her friend rather than envying her surely the day must come when she will be tired of it all thought the barrister's wife Flo had been delighting everybody by her vivacity she has too many pleasures and too much splendour and luxury she seems to me like a feminine xerxes and sooner or later she must grow tired of every mortal enjoyment and cry out wearily for some new pleasure how tired cleopatra must have been of everything upon earth when she drank that melted pearl surely only a little less tired than when she made an end of her life with the asp and solomon what unutterable utter- weariness there is in every line of that wonderful book in which he laments the emptiness and barrenness of his life i cannot help thinking of these things when i see flo hurrying from one amusement to another from a hunting breakfast at home to a morning concert at chivoli and then for an hours shopping in which she spends a small fortune upon things she doesn't want and then home to meet fresh visitors at dinner and then charades or tableau vivant or a carpet dance she must grow tired of all this at last but before that time this perpetual excitement will have become a habit and society will be necessary to her as it is to my aunt i remember that line of popes and round and round the ghosts of beauty glide what a picture it conjures up who would not prefer a home and home duties to that perpetual round of pleasures which so soon ceased to please and then lady cecil thought of the big dingy house in bloomsbury and wondered whether the serenity and quiet cheerfulness of the ideal home would ever pervade that dismal mansion she had hung birds in the southern windows and had bought rustic baskets of flowers and perfumed caskets and work-boxes for the adornment of the dingy drawing-rooms but she had not been able as yet to impart that homelike aspect to mr urboineville's dwelling for which her soul yearned the pevenchal visitors were busy with the preparations for the comedy the billiard-room was given up to rehearsals the billiard-table was pushed into a dark corner much to the annoyance of mr lobier who fled in despair to manchester there was a rehearsal every day during the fortnight preceding the eventful evening for it is astonishing how much rehearsing one of scribe's comedies requires when the performers are pretty girls and elegant young men the business might have been managed in less time perhaps had there not been considerable hindrance of the one kind and another to the steady progress of the affair there was one day upon which the arrival of a box of powdered wigs from london interrupted the course of rehearsal and ultimately put a stop to it for mrs Labier, having run away to try on her wig the other ladies followed her example and then the gentlemen were seized with a like curiosity as to the effect of powder and there was a general trying on of wigs all of which were pronounced by the wearers to be hideously ugly and cruelly disappointing for the effect of a powdered wig combined with modern costume in the chill winter sunlight is by no means agreeable other rehearsals were interrupted by little squabbles about stage arrangements for sir nugent evershed and the west end clubmen were at variance upon many points while one of the latter gentlemen was inclined to give himself airs upon the strength of having assisted at the getting up of the school for a scandal at the countess of Warlingham's place at twickenham and then there was time lost by reason of feminine gigglings and particular people were missing at important moments and there was a great deal of trying back and perpetual disputations as to entrances and exits but it was altogether very delightful and every one seemed to enjoy him or herself amazingly mr lobier looking into the billiard-room sometimes in the course of the morning was wont to make some contemptuous remark upon the occupation of his wife and her guests before taking his flight to manchester and so the days went by until the last rehearsal took place on the evening prior to the performance and everybody was pronounced perfect in the words of the airiest and most delightful of modern dramatists the dresses had arrived after the prospective wearers had endured unspeakable tortures from the fear of their non-arrival the stage was erected in the billiard-room and never was temporary theatre more complete in its arrangements mrs Labier's spirits rose with the prospect of her triumph and mr lobier grew more disdainfully indifferent to his wife's folly as the important moment drew near the sixteenth of january was to be altogether a very grand day at Pevenshall there was to be a hunt breakfast in the morning a dinner party in the evening after the dinner the private theatricals and after that display of amateur talent a ball at which the performers and the comedy were to appear in their stage dresses so far as mr labier could be interested in anything but the money market he was interested in the hunt breakfast and the dinner at both of which entertainments the men of his own set were to muster in full force the master of pevenshall had the chance of pleasure at a very early period of his existence and not being gifted with a very large stock of vivacity had speedily exhausted the effervescence of his nature for the last few years of his life all the force of his mind all the energy of his character had been directed towards the one end and aim of the successful trader to make twenty per cent where other men were making fifteen to anticipate the future of the money-market to foreshadow the influence of coming events and to enrich himself by such foresight for this mr Lobbier spent his days in meditation and his sleepless nights in care and anguish but he was still capable in his own stolid way of taking some kind of pleasure out of the splendour of his surroundings the skill of his cook the perfection of his wines and the homage which he received from the minions of the money-market he felt a grim satisfaction in the knowledge that his wife was beautiful and that other men admired her and envied him because he was her husband if he had been an oriental potentate he would have taken to himself a hundred wives not so much for his own happiness as in the hope that other potentates who could boast only fifty wives would envy him the delights of his harem not being an oriental potentate he had done the best he could in uniting himself to the prettiest woman and the most insolent coquette he had encountered he had gratified himself to the annoyance and mortification of other people from his childhood he had been fully alive to the advantage of being the son of a millionaire of having been in the manner born in the commercial purple and the desire of his life had been that all his belongings should be infinitely superior to the belongings of other people if another millionaire had arisen in the county and had built for himself a larger place than pevenshall mr lobier would have commissioned Messrs. foster to dispose of pevenshall to the highest bidder and would have erected a nobler and bigger mansion than the palace of the new millionaire it is just possible that thomas lobier had some vague consciousness that considered apart from his money he was a paltry and detestable creature and that he was therefore eager to make the most of the glamour which splendid surroundings can impart to the meanest object aladdin playing in the streets and byways of the city is only the idle waif and stray of a defunct tailor but aladdin with the command of an orchard whose fruits are rubies and diamonds aladdin the tenant of the enchanted palace and owner of the rock's egg is altogether another person one fancies him arrayed in shining tissues of gold and silver blazing with jewels handsome dashing elegant delightful or in one word successful and the vulgar antecedents of the tailor's son are utterly forgotten mr lobier was neither an exacting nor a tyrannical husband he had secured for himself the best thing in wives as he had the best thing in horses and modern pictures and dogs if he held her a little lower than his short-legged hunter a little less dear than his fawn-coloured pug he at least gave her as much as she had any right to expect from him she had married him for his money and he gave her his money she spent as much as she pleased she amused herself after her own fashion if now and then moved by some short-lived conscientious scruple she made an attempt to consult him or to defer to his pleasure mr lobbier took good care to show his wife that his pleasure was in no way concerned in hers and that to be consulted by her was to be inexpressibly bored he let her see very plainly that she was only a part of his pomp and splendour and that she had nothing to do but to dress herself to perfection and excite the envy of his toadies and familiars if he gave her costly jewels it was in order that she might be an advertisement of his own wealth and importance and he scowled at her if she came down to dinner in some simple girlish dress when he wanted her to swell his magnificence what the deuce made you stick those damn rosebuds in your hair when brown john the dry salter was over here he asked savagely what's the good of a fellow giving you five or six thousand pounds worth of diamonds if you lock em up in your jewel-case and dress yourself up in white muslin and blue ribbon like a boarding-school miss tricked out for a dancing lesson brown john's fat old wife had a breastplate of diamonds that would have looked as yellow as barley sugar beside your tiara and brown john is just the sort of man to notice those things but what does it matter how i am dressed flo would inquire mr brown john knows how rich you are perhaps he does and perhaps he does not you don't know those manchester fellows they believe in nothing except what they see and brown john knows that i have been struck rather heavily within the last six months mrs lobier in her own secret soul rejoiced that she was not more intimately acquainted with the idiosyncrasies of mr brown john and other men of his class she had a faint idea that to be struck rather heavily meant something unpleasant but as her husband did not invite her sympathy she did not consider herself in any way bound to be uneasy because of such unpleasantness if ever she thought about mr lobier's financial position she thought of him as the owner of wealth so enormous that no mistaken adventure could exhaust or even diminish it in any palpable manner i don't know why he worries himself about the money market she said to cecil he couldn't spend any more money than he does if his income were trebled. but i suppose after reaching a certain point a man takes pleasure in the magnitude of his wealth without any reference to the use he can make of it i dare say, mr Labier is tired of being a millionaire there are so many millionaires nowadays and a man must be a millionaire if he wants to buy anything out of the common the sixteenth of january began very pleasantly the breakfast went off delightfully the gentlemen mounted their covert hacks at eleven o'clock and rode off to the meet accompanied by a party of blooming equestrians with miss evershed for their leader and followed by a landau filled with older and less adventurous ladies these ladies were only to witness the meet for there were no diana vernons at pevenshall miss Evershed rode superbly but professed a supreme contempt for hunting i believe there was a time when a lady could hunt she said when the subject was discussed at the breakfast-table and when she knew whom she was likely to meet at covert but that is all changed now and we leave the sport to people who seem to enjoy it amazingly and who can better afford to shake a valuable hunter once or twice in the season than we could miss Evershed happened to be looking at her host as she gave utterance to these remarks and over that gentleman's swarthy complexion there came a dusky tinge of crimson as he evaded the young lady's fearless gaze it would be rather hard if the hunting-field wasn't free to good riders he muttered i'm sure one meets plenty of bad ones there every day neither mrs lobier nor lady cecil were among the ladies who rode to covert for florence wanted to read one particular scene in the comedy for the last time and she begged her dear cecil to stay at home until the afternoon when they could drive out together they've made me a new set of harness for the grey ponies flo said harness with bells in frosty weather it quite gives one the idea of a sledge if it were not for the hunting people i should wish it were frosty we can go out directly after luncheon cecil and i dare say we shall meet those hunting people somewhere or other in the course of our drive in the meantime i shall go and inflict solitary confinement upon myself while i read over that long scene with the marquis i wonder whether sir nugent will be nervous i am sure i shall and if we are both nervous the scene will be a failure mrs Labier retired to her own apartments and cecil spent her morning in writing letters she had heard no mention of hector gordon's name since the afternoon on which the comedy had been read by sir nugent evershed and she had done her uttermost to exclude all thought of him from her mind but she knew that on the tenth the fusiliers had left for tralee and that on the same day the plungers had taken possession of chivalry barracks there had been some talk about these indian heroes amongst callers at pevenshill but no special mention of major gordon she knew that he was near her that although it was quite possible that she might leave yorkshire without having seen him it was equally possible that at any moment he might appear before her a guest in the house which sheltered her she had been so accustomed to think of him as utterly divided from her the inhabitant of another world that the knowledge of his near neighbourhood affected her with a feeling that was nearly akin to terror what reason have i to be afraid of him she asked herself again and again but in spite of all reason she was oppressed by some kind of fear when she thought of the many chances that might bring hector gordon across her path mrs lobier was in her highest spirits at luncheon the gentlemen were all away in the hunting-field except sir nugent who had arrived at pevenshill an hour or two after breakfast and had been supervising the upholsterer's men as they put the finishing touches to the theatre and dressing-rooms he was to dine and spend the night in mr lobier's mansion after luncheon he escorted the two ladies to their carriage patted and admired the pretty grey ponies and placed the reins in mrs lobier's hands you'll not drive far he said remember that as stage-manager i have some kind of authority and i must beg that you don't fatigue yourself you have your dinner to go through you know it will be nine o'clock before you leave the dining-room and our performance must commence at ten an hour is a very short time for a pompadour toilette the dinner is a horrible bore answered flo those manchester friends of mr lobier's care for nothing but dinners and manchester's paramount in this house why can't one put one's housekeeper at the head of the table on such occasions i am sure mrs prowen is a very lady-like person and i could lend her some of my diamonds you don't know how i hate those wearisome banquets sir nugent with the eternal palestine soup and turbot and haunts of mutton and sparkling moselle and crystallized fruit and forest pineapples and wax candles and that stifling odour peculiar to all dining-rooms which seems like a combination of roast meat and rose-water but give the ponies their heads if you please how long am i to drive she asked the question in her most charming manner with that half coquettish air of submission which is so delightful when evinced by a very pretty woman towards a man to whom she has no right to defer an hour and a half at the uttermost answered the baronet looking at his watch i shall be on the lookout for your return and if you outstay your leave of absence i shall exercise my authority as stage-manager and condemn you to the most awful penance i can imagine you shall play lonie de presle without your wig that would be a very small penance i am sure the wig is hideously ugly and that i shall look a perfect object in it and i am sure you think no such thing mrs lobier i know you tried the effect of the wig last night by candlelight and were charmed with it yes your blushes convict you and lady cecil knows i am right flo shook her head in coquettish protestation and drove away the bells jingling gaily in the frosty air as she went isn't he nice cecil she asked presently who dear sir nugent of course yes he is very agreeable but i think-you think what cecil pray speak out i can't bear people to begin sentences they can't finish perhaps you'll be offended if i speak frankly oh dear no say just what you like it is my normal state to be lectured people never hesitate to say what they please about me and my goings-on i think dear you are a little too much inclined to talk to him in a manner or to let him talk to you in a manner that is almost like flirting i know how difficult it is to draw the line between what is and what is not flirting i dare say you will think me very absurd dear i don't think you at all absurd i know that i flirt with sir nugent evershed flo do you think that i am going to pretend about it or to dispute as to the exact shade of my iniquity i talk to sir nugent and i let him pay me compliments of course they are the airiest and most elegant compliments like the little epigrammatic speeches in a comedy and i sing the songs he recommends me to sing and i read the books he begs me to read and i have allowed him to bring me ferns from the fernery at howden park and i suppose all that constitutes a flirtation of a very abominable character but after all cecil why shouldn't i flirt if it amuses me to do so but florence but cecil who cares about my flirtations mr lobier does not and i suppose if he is satisfied other people may let me go my own way mr lobbier likes to see sir nugent dancing attendance upon me because sir nugent is one of the best men in the county and his hanging about pevenshall improves mr lobbier's position au pre de manchester i know i am a very worthless creature cecil but i am not utterly iniquitous and i try to do my duty to my husband after a fashion if i saw that my flirting annoyed him i would turn district visitor and never open my lips except to talk of charity schools and new iron churches but how do you know that mr lobier is not annoyed some men are so reserved upon such points i know that he is almost always at manchester and that when he is at home he is generally in the billiard or smoking-room please Cecil, don't say any more about it there are some things that won't bear talking of tell me how you like the bells they do give you the idea of a sledge don't they nothing could be more charming than the vivacity of mrs lobier's manner as she turned to her friend with this frivolous question and yet only a moment before she had been very much in earnest and the face half averted from cecil had been a very sad one they drove for some miles along a pleasant country road and then turned into a lane i think we had better go home by gorsemoor said flo i know you like that wild bleak open country they had emerged from the lane to the wide hard road which skirted the broad stretch of common land called gorse moor where flo espied a little group of country people clustered at a spot where two roads crossed and where there was a little wayside inn you may depend they are waiting for some of the hunting party exclaimed mrs Lobbier. look out cecil do you see any signs of pink in the distance yes i see two or three redcoats coming across the common and a lady a lady yes it is a lady who can it be i know no lady about here who hunts it must be a stranger shall we stop and indulge our curiosity cecil if you like they had reached the cross-roads and the little cluster of country people by this time and Flo's ponies which had been driven at a good pace by that young lady were by no means disinclined to draw breath the country people within a few paces of the carriage looked at the two ladies one old gaffer touched his hat and a woman dropped a curtsey but this was only the ordinary deferential greeting given to unknown quality the lady in the pony carriage was not recognized as the mistress of pevenshall place gorse common was just a little outside the radius within which the influence of pevenshall reigned supreme the red-coats were riding at a leisurely pace and their horses gave evidence of having done a good day's work flo had not drawn up her ponies three minutes when the huntsman and the lady reached the cross-roads there were four huntsmen two stout middle-aged men whose tired horses straggled in the rear and a young man who rode abreast with the lady by his side it was upon this lady that the little cluster of villagers and the two friends in the pony-carriage as if by common consent concentrated their attention she was a very handsome lady of the red and white school very red and very white in spite of a little blousiness incidental to a hard day's hunting she had a great deal of hair and if some of the voluminous tresses which had escaped from a chenille net had, had fallen loose on her shoulders did not quite correspond in shade it was the fault of her hairdresser she had bold black eyebrows and a bush of frizzled ringlets plastered very low upon her forehead so low indeed that there was scarcely anything between the eyebrows and the frizzy hair her habit fitted her exquisitely if possible just a little too exquisitely and there was more braid about it than is compatible with the strictest purism in the ethics of costume she wore a white chimney-pot hat with a black veil and a stand-up collar of the most masculine type and the stand-up collar was fastened with one very large diamond a diamond which florence remembered as the fastening of mr lobier's collar when he had first attended the sunday evenings at the fountains the lady was talking very loudly to the gentleman who rode by her side as they passed the pony-carriage and neither the gentleman nor the lady appeared to observe the grey ponies or their owner this was perhaps fortunate inasmuch as the gentleman was mr he was laughing quite heartily at something his companion was saying and had half turned in his saddle to speak to the two men behind did you hear her he cried triumphantly say what you will she'll put a topper on it in all cecil's acquaintance with the master of pevinchel she had never heard him laugh so heartily or give any such evidence of high spirits she had just time enough to see what manner of person the lady was when the two riders had passed and were gone the stout men on the tired horses followed they were two of the Pevenchal visitors who talked money-market with mr lobier and one of them espied florence he lifted his hat and saluted her as he passed with abject confusion visible in every line of his countenance young ladies who put toppers upon conversation may be very agreeable but a man who devotes himself to their society is apt to expose himself to the chances of rather awkward encounters don't you, and lassie make tom lobier's money spin said the gaffer dick stanner toot me as young lobbyer bought yo mare in york after the last sumer reasses and gave close upon four hundred pound for her and they say as the bay hunter she staked at the early part o the winter cost nigh upon his smooch i think tud gentleman would turn in his grave if he could know the dukes and drakes the young un is making of his brass is that lady in the white hat mrs lobier asked a countrywoman lord bless ye heart no missis no more than you be but i'll tell you what she is she's mr lobier's master dick stanner one of the grooms at how and he told me all about her she lives at manchester she does most of her time mr raymond they call her. but she comes over to chiverley in the hoonting season she's got a house they call a willer outside manchester and keeps her broom. dick stanner had a friend as lived coachman with her but he said she was such a wild cat in her tantrums he wouldn't have stayed in her service for ten pound a week she'd been a regular out and outer up in london dick says and have helped to ruin as rich a man as young lobbyer he picked her up in town and dick says he's more afraid of a black look from her than florence whipped her ponies sharply and they started off at a pace which startled the little group of country people she had heard quite enough in those three minutes during which she had listened almost involuntarily to the gaffer's discourse cecil had laid her hand upon her friend's arm entreatingly when the old man mentioned mr lobier's name but flo sat quite still with her eyes fixed on the speaker and was not to be aroused from the kind of stupor that had seized her at sight of the bold red-and-white faced woman riding by her husband's side they drove some distance on their way homeward before either of the ladies spoke to cecil the situation was cruelly painful her heart bled for the frivolous girl who had sold herself for wealth and splendour and of whose future she thought with absolute terror what was to become of her so young so reckless so much admired surrounded by every species of temptation and exposed to neglect and outrage from the husband who should have protected her perhaps they can be separated on account of this horrible woman cecil thought as she pondered the matter during the silent drive if mr crawford could only know his son-in-law's conduct i am sure he would interfere and then she determined whenever a fitting opportunity arose to implore flo to entrust her father with the story of her wrongs in the meantime she looked anxiously at the fair young face half averted from her and she saw that although mrs lobier was very pale her countenance wore a look of quiet resolution scarcely to be expected from so frivolous a person you can understand now cecil how little my flirting with sir nugent can matter to mr lobier she said as they passed the gates of pevenshel speaking for the first time since she had stopped to listen to the country people's talk did you know anything about this before to-day flo i did not know anything about Miss de raymond if that is what you mean but i have known that my husband does not care about me ever since we came back to england i dare say mr raymond is a very agreeable person she seemed to be making them laugh very much don't you think her handsome i do and i suppose that white hat with the black veil is the sort of thing you call chic florrie for heaven's sake don't talk like that how should i talk i mean to be wise in my generation and take life lightly if mr lobier buys four hundred guinea mares for mr raymond i suppose sir nugent evershed may bring me maidens hair from the Fernery. i am afraid you don't understand modern philosophy cecil i do and i mean to be profoundly philosophical there is sir nugent waiting for us on the terrace wasn't it fortunate i insisted on going out without a groom though for the matter of that i dare say they know all about mr raymond in the servants hall the baronet came down the steps to assist the ladies in dismounting while a clanging bell rang in the cupola above the stables and two eager grooms ran out to receive the vehicle you have been away two hours mrs lobier said sir nugent am i to blame you or lady cecil for this disobedience to managerial orders his airy gaiety jarred upon cecil but flo answered him vivaciously in her clear ringing voice and looked at him with a bright smile though her face was still colourless how pale you are looking he said with some alarm the air has been too cold for you it is rather cold a dull damp penetrating cold said flo with a piteous little shiver and now i am going to my own rooms to take a siesta and i shall forbid anybody to come near me she glanced at cecil as she spoke and ran away as if she would fain have avoided the possibility of any further discussion cecil and sir nugent went into the house together all the theatrical party are possessed by a kind of fever this afternoon said the baronet my cousin grace has been walking up and down the terrace muttering to herself like a sibyl and george miniver has been pacing the picture-gallery in a dramatic frenzy how little this evening's visitors will appreciate the agonies we have undergone for their amusement as for me i feel a kind of despairing resignation to the ordeal that awaits me such as one can fancy a man may feel the night before his execution i have been playing billiards all the afternoon with some officers from Shiverley in order to get rid of the time some officers from Shiverley, the phrase set cecil's heart beating at an abnormal pace the only officers now at chivalry were the plungers and yet lady cecil O'Boyneville had no right to be affected by any intelligence relating to the plungers she thought of poor Flo's miserable circumstances and remembered how much happier her own life was even in bloomsbury it may be a hard thing to have a husband who gives his best thoughts to the interests of a soap-boiling company but it is infinitely harder to have a husband who devotes his leisure to the society of a miss de raymond cecil went to her own pretty sitting-room where the candles were lighted and the fire burning brightly she took a book and tried to read until it was time to dress for dinner but the thought of flows and her own domestic circumstances came between her and the page she was glad when the little clock on the chimney-piece struck half-past six and there was some excuse for beginning her toilette for the eight o'clock dinner it was about half-past seven when she went downstairs dressed for the evening and looking very elegant and very girlish in a fresh toilette of white tulle with wreath and bouquets of snowdrops a costume which had been ordered from a french milliner for this especial evening in accordance with a suggestion of mrs lobier's the great drawing-room was blazing with light so bright that its first effect was eminently bewildering and the new-comer was glad to gain the sanctuary of a triangular ottoman on which clara ever shed and the sentimental widow were talking scandal under a pyramid of exotics we have been amusing ourselves by the study of mr Lobbier's friends said miss evershed what delightful people they are and what a privilege it is to meet them they have begun to talk about american finance and the drain of gold already however we are not entirely given over to manchester the military element is strong among us there are three or four of the plungers and amongst them that major gordon who distinguished himself at Dal Chuda. the room bright and confused before span round before cecil's eyes for a moment a chaos of light and splendour is major gordon here she asked yes do you know him he is over there by the fireplace talking to nugent and mr don't you think him very handsome i do much handsomer than nugent grander and more distinguished not such a dash of petit matre about him but then no civilian is ever quite equal to a high-bred military man i suppose the girls here will allow poor nugent a relash and devote their attention to the major who is a widower and enormously rich i am told yes cecil answered quietly he is very rich he is my aunt's nephew and a kind of distant connection of my own i suppose miss everche's volubility had given cecil time to recover her composure and to read herself one of those little lectures with which she had been accustomed of late to school herself what reason had she to be agitated was it to her that chance had brought hector gordon to Pevenshire? could there be any one in the room more utterly a stranger to her than he must be for evermore she remembered this and tried to think of her absent husband brooding over the details of snooks versus tompkins by his lonely hearth while she affected to listen to miss evershed's vivacious chatter across the crowd she saw the proud head that had bent over her on the misty sands they were strangers such utter strangers now and for evermore but even in that lighted room amidst the odour of exotics the buzz and hum of many voices the breath of the ocean came back to her and like a rushing wind from that unforgotten sea returned the memory of the past with all its sorrow and passion its silent anguish and despair chapter twenty two